This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. More fuel to the anti-Aussie agenda. Tottenham lose a lead again. West Ham resurrected under the Moy sire after a barrage in the first half of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Everton lay siege to Newcastle to match their mentality out of the relegation zone to make light of their 10-point deduction. Kieran Trippier has a game to beget Newcastle literally running out of legs. We'll preview what's to come in the Premier League at the weekend, take stock of the managerial comings and goings in the EFL and discuss the new TV deal. What does it mean for the armchair watching and match-going fan? All of that and your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. A panel today, good morning, Nader Manuha. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Paul McInnes. Good morning, Robin. And good morning, Sunny Rajavajula. Uh, hello, and hello from a salubrious surroundings of Salford University's uh, radio studio. He says as a oh, fire dear. alarm goes off. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, great start for the year. <laughs> so we've just had a fire alarm before we started recording, and now, I mean, are we starting, do we need to get worried now, do we think? I mean, I can't see any flames, but I suppose that's the last thing you see. <laughs> <laughs> the Guardian used to give people a hundred quid to be a fire marshal, and guess was guess who was at the front of the queue for that little incentive? Me. So oh, I, yeah. I, I not only would be the first person out of the building, well, ready to get out of the building, escorting people out. I also know what to do in the event of a fire alarm. So if this continues, just come back to me, and everybody will be fine. I promise you. That, that's standard practice, is it? Dial up Paul McInnes on on Zoom and find out how to survive. <laughs> give me I think a, I'm find, okay. Give me a call. <laughs> find a connection. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, let's get straight to it then, to the Premier League. Everton 3, Newcastle United nil at Goodison Park. Sani, you were at this game, uh, despite some of the conspiracy theories that are going around social media. How was it? It was it was everything you'd kind of um, put as a cliche at Goodison Park, under the lights, with all the fans there. And it was exactly that. And, you know, before the game, a lot of the preview was around how Everton have a really bad home record. Uh, and Newcastle only have five points on the road. So what would we expect? But as you would expect, Everton kind of flew out of the traps. Uh, and I suppose it's one of those where there are no plastic Everton fans, right? Every t- every fan who's there, kind of, they are concentrating for the whole game. There's no influences like filming themselves walking upstairs like at Old Trafford or whatever. Uh, and so all that energy... It's all thrown onto the pitch and it's whether the players can kind of use that and use it positively. And in the past, they haven't. And last night they did. And by the time they got to 3-0 and you've got Beto scoring after a 29-pass uh, move, it's kind of like the dominoes have all fallen there. It was just one of those nights where everything kind of came together. Um, and kind of Everton, they, they, they quite like not having the ball, right? They're, quite, they're much better away from home. They like having this... Being, being on the countering team and, and that's kind of how they were but they had more shots than Newcastle they all they looked like they were going to score and although the, all the goals came in the second half they were really good value for a 3-0 win uh, Nadim it's just a second home win of the season for Everton a 10 point deduction they're now out of the relegation zone it seems to me that uh, under any other manager almost you wouldn't back them so heavily to beat that sort of adversity yeah that's 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 very very true and I think for me looking at Everton this season's been so interesting because at the start, I think they lost three or four games to begin with, and that's their worst start in 30-something years. And as you look at them now, you see them as as a solid team. I think they've won three times, uh, 
in London so far as well this season. Three away wins for Everton. Who who had that down as a thing? In fact, it might be four. And then when you see the way that they play now, you know what to expect. And obviously the better goal yesterday with the 29 passes was great. I don't think it's necessarily the standard for Everton. But what I liked was the fact that, say, obviously, Kieran Trippier is someone that I know, so I don't like to see him making mistakes. But look at the way they pounced upon it. You know, they're a team that are more on the front foot now. If they were the word that some people perceive them to be, they'd be in a really low block, just hoping to be able to sweep something up and start a counterattack from 70 yards away from the goal. But instead, they're showing pressure. They're trying to make teams uncomfortable. And as a consequence, they can sort of pounce on some of those mistakes and then just change the sort of tone of the game. And I, I'm at a point where like, I think they're just a good side, you know. They are just a good side. And it, I know that shouldn't be something that feels or sounds controversial, but the more you watch them, the more you realise one of their issues this season has been the ability to, well, the fact that they couldn't take chances. I think in their first game of the season at home, they lost 1-0 to Fulham. And I thought, oh, it's going to be a tough season for Everton. Then I looked at the game and looked at the stats and they battered Fulham but they just didn't score. You look at the game a couple of weeks ago against Manchester United where they lost 3-0. I think they should have been scoring in that game. They should have been up at halftime. But then, you know, obviously it starts with uh, one of the best goals we've probably ever seen. And then a couple of mistakes here and there. But they're a good side. They seem like they're tough to beat and they do have something going forward. So yeah, uh, this Everton side, they're they're decent. And obviously the 10-point deduction does matter. But they seem to be a side that's confident, know what they're doing and very, very happy doing it as well. I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because we were all assuming another season of struggle, not just because of the 10-point deduction. But I think it's possibly, Paul, like a hangover from Frank Lampard, not just him, even the managers before that just seemed to be a cycle of ongoing struggle. But now it seems like they've they've got a manager who knows what he's doing. I think I heard on Five Live, if they hadn't had the 10-point deduction, they'd be 10th at this stage. Yeah, Absolutely. And and you can certainly see the imprint of um, a Sean Dyche team in, you know, that there is familiarity from the way that, that uh, Burnley used to play. And, and not just because two of the key players in, in McNeil and Tarkovsky are part of that setup. But I, I think I think one thing I, I was very impressed with Jared Branthwaite last night. And I, I, I do feel that one of the things that has changed for, uh, for Everton this season is they've got a reliable centre-half pairing and Pickford's Pickford's in very good form at the minute as well. And I think that having that sort of base means that maybe sometimes psychologically, sometimes the team are going to think, well, we don't have to, we can take a risk and and, and press a bit, a bit higher or, or engage more because we can be a little bit more confident that if that doesn't work, then we're going to have that re- resolution behind us to stop the, to stop the ball from going in the back of the net. I mean, you know, I, I think this season, what we're seeing is there's quite a few decent teams, but actually the, thanks to that ever-expanding kind of uh, TV revenue. Squads are getting stronger year after year. Coaches are getting stronger year after year. And and that depth is just going further down the division. But Everton, clearly an example of that right now. Well, depth is something that Newcastle don't have at the moment. Jim says, should Newcastle buy more Croatians so they don't get quite as tired as they did at Goodison? Yes, yeah, so Newcastle played the same outfield 10 for the fourth game in a row. And I think they probably would have played the 11, of course, if, if Nick Pope had been... Uh, available on the Monday Night Club on Five Live on Monday. Um, Dan Byrne was said after the last international break, he went away, but he said he'd felt like he'd played a whole season because of the Champions League football. He says it's really starting to to take its toll. And I guess, Sally, it, 
it came to pass. It was, it seemed very similar to that away game against Bournemouth where they just allowed shot after shot and they just couldn't get a grip of the game at all. Eddie Howe after the match kind of reflected similar to, to Dan Byrne in that they, they are definitely going through this kind of run at the moment. And, you know, I put it to him, you know, the, the next game uh, against Spurs and an AC Milan, these games are coming thick and fast. So he's very much in this kind of feeling of it's all kind of happening. I mean, Newcastle weren't, you know, 3 0. On the one hand, it's slightly flattering to Everton in that you know Newcastle still had chances. Uh, you know, I mentioned that Everton don't particularly want to have the ball, and therefore, when Newcastle did have the ball and the quality they've got, you know, the moves are pretty crisp. They were able to get the get the ball up pretty pretty quickly. Um, but most of the time, the defense was kind of equal to it. And yeah, you've you've got like Miley. He, he's you know they've got literal children on the bench, haven't they now? And like they've got no other option but to do that. And yeah, and yeah, when you've got Trippier making those two kind of mistakes, kind of dispossessed for the first two goals, it kind of maybe it's one where if he wasn't having to draw on all those extra reserves and you know put a shoulder, put an arm round like the likes of Miley's uh, Miley's Miley's shoulder, so you know, bring him all in. Maybe these mistakes kind of creep in. And and the thing is, yet yeah, they've not really got anything else. That this is it for them. Uh, and you know, add to that the goalkeeper situation. You know, Eddie Howe talked about how Martin Dubravko was a bit bruised after the game because he he certainly went through it uh, as the as the replacement for Pope. And, and there was a few kind of robust challenges on him perhaps and overall they're, they're kind of going through the, the ringer and we're not even quite in the festive period yet so it's only going to get worse what was the read on Jamal Lascelles uh, in the end did you see that Sani was he serious injury or not well no it, it didn't sound that way from what Eddie, Eddie Howe said after the game it should be okay nothing too major um, I think there was also a couple of other players with just minor tweaks so I don't think there's anything too bad there they couldn't they couldn't do with losing another defender though yeah, yeah. He says with, you know, there'll be breaking news, he's out for the rest of the season or something, <laughs> and I've said that. <laughs> Probably doesn't quite warrant a voice note, but uh, I mean, Nadim, we, it's almost, if we uh, say they look tired, footballers aren't allowed to say they're tired, <laughs> are they? That's the kind of thing that that's really taboo. Yeah, it is that way, to be honest. And realistically yeah they are tired they're probably out in the field cold and they don't like the fact that they're losing you know these are things that you just don't really want to be um be addressing as such and it's interesting as well listening to what you were saying about Dan Byrne and the Champions League uh, you know some people say oh in the championship you play four or six games and so on but it's those it's the way you travel around Europe going to these different places the amount of time you sort of spend away like when that game's finished at you know 10 o'clock all of a sudden you just you're in Milan you need to get back to where you need to get to to then immediately start preparing for the next game. Whereas the opposition, more often than not, the, you know, they've had a nice relaxing Wednesday off before their game on the Saturday. So it does it does make a difference. And I think to a certain extent, they do look tired, but then I thought they looked great on the weekend. So I think that's just the general ebb and flow of, say, Premier League football in my perspective and the fact that each team you play against is different and offers you something that's a bit different. And the intensity that Everton had yesterday is very different to that that... United had on the weekend against them. But, you know, what's next up? Is it Spurs away? So it's hardly going to be, um, you know, a nice easy transition because one thing we know about Spurs, I'm sure we'll get into them, is they start well, they start quickly. Um, So yeah, maybe this game is going to be maybe a really good one just because 
you know, Newcastle want a response, Spurs want a response, and everybody's tired, but we shall see. Um, I've got some breaking news, by the way. I've checked my press conference notes from last night. Eddie Howe said Jamal Lascelles has a dead leg, so he should be okay. Oh, should be all right. No voice relief. note needed. Relief. Well, well, depends. Depends on the severity. That can't be bad. Yeah, can't I've, it? I've had like dead legs. I'm sure he'll be fine. And Jamal's like tough guy and whatever. But if you also, if you ever had a dead leg where you like fall down the stairs, type dead leg. That's not <laughs> oh, fun. No. <laughs> Those ones are fun. All of a sudden, you just have like lose all sense in one of your legs and you're just tumbling down. So hopefully he's not got one of those because that could be quite tricky when you're trying to play against <laughs> Hung and Son at the weekend. Is this you like hob- hobbling out of bed after a, you know, the night after a, a big a big game? Because it's not common place, I think I would write to say, to, to fall down the stairs. That's not something that happens to no, me. Like, no, 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 I think I think anyone that's had one of those dead legs before... They'll, they'll know the pain because you, you think you're fine. Then the next minute you've got no control as you're just falling over, which is, you know, it's not, it's not really the most fun thing in the world, but I'm sure he'll be giving it a go. I'm sure he'll be right, but I'm sure it's also hurting that a little bit more today because of the fact that they just got beaten so heavily the day before. That's good insight from Nadem as well. Hey, you're when you see, That's what I'm here for, well, could, <laughs> Exactly, brilliant. Because, you know, when, when we get team news and it's like brackets, ankle, brackets, and then it's brackets, dead leg. For us, it's like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> <laughs> so everyone what, listening, listeners, it can be very, very painful, it seems. And you may, might uh, rule him out, but we'll have to wait and see. So, yes, yeah, Spurs away on Sunday for Newcastle and then at home to Milan on Wednesday. Uh, on the last round of matches in the, in the Champions League. Um, so they're seventh at the moment, Newcastle United. Um, Aston Villa and Spurs better than they were last season. United turning a corner, it seems, although we say that every week. Um, I mean, is Champions League football for Newcastle United, Paul, not, you know, it's not a given, is it? And it's, this is a real testing period for them. I, I think one of the, one further aspect of the tiredness that I just sort of wanted to drop in was this is going to be psychological tiredness as well. Because they're going to be exposed to this, not only the intensity of the schedule, but the challenges that they face against their opponents, you know, playing in the Champions League, they've got to be on it all the time. And I think with the injuries as well, uh, when you're when you're losing your first choice players and playing second or maybe third choice players, you know, those players have got to be concentrating the entire time in order to be able to kind of do the job. So I think there's probably something of that that's draining. Eddie Howe is always on a on a on a knife edge, I think, at this club because the expectations are so high. I think I think that the, they've they've run the club very well since since taking over the current management. But you know, at the end of last year, it was sort of quite clear that if they didn't get into the Champions League, it would have been a disappointment for the club. Which clearly, it was something of a miracle for them to do it. So I, I, I think there'll be there will there will be pressure around that and. I wouldn't rule that Newcastle being able to do it because I think when they when they're when they're on a run they look you know solid and efficient and they've got you know high quality players and the injuries will heal over time, but there, there's going to be what six other teams competing for those places at least for the sort of the bottom the, the last the last remaining place I think at the minute you would say that Arsenal City and Liverpool are, 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 are likely to take the first three so that again narrows the opportunity. Um, and, and raises the pressure. Uh, just to round this off, uh, Sean said, Jim Beglin said on the commentary, Calvert shooing um, after his big miss. Uh, <laughs> and apparently the, yeah, yeah. And apparently the commentator didn't laugh. And I laughed. Um, Sean, oh, good. Sean said, should he laugh? And I'm like, yes. The answer is yes, he definitely should have laughed. That's poor form. No matter what, how rubbish your co-commentator's joke is, 
you must laugh that's part of the part of the pack that's part of the training that we get you know yeah um and you it's got to be done nate it doesn't matter how bad the joke is of course of course of course you need people to believe that you all like each other all the time so yeah that's hilarious (laughs) the best joke i've ever heard yes like in a press conference where it just seems that journalists can laugh at pretty much anything um, at that stage. But anyway, we'll end part one there. In part two, we'll talk about West Ham's win over Spurs. Welcome back to the Guardian Football Weekly. Spurs one, West Ham United two. Uh, Spurs have lost four of their last five, uh, picked up just one point. But Sani, I think the... The standout stat from this game, apparently Spurs are the first team in Premier League history to take the lead in five games in a row and fail to win. Now, that seems like something of a pattern here. Yeah, it's quite amazing, isn't it? I mean, we're always with these Premier League stats, you wonder, Jonathan Wilson will probably know the answer, whether, you know, there was a team in the 30s that did it in the Football League. But it's, I guess, you know, we, we've, we've built Ange up, haven't we? The media, we've done all of that. And we love his this gung-ho style. And now that the chickens are, are coming home to roost, aren't they? And it's not quite coming together because, you know, so easily they could just shut up shop and, or really just think we don't need to be making these mistakes at the back. We don't need to be faffing around. And, and that's continually what's been happening here, I guess. I don't know. You know, look at the other end. Is this where the likes of, say, having a Harry Kane to have got a, a second somewhere and just put the game to bed without too much bother would have, would have fixed things. Perhaps that's one way of looking at it. Uh, but yeah, it is quite an amazing stat. Um, but we like entertaining football. This is, this is good, isn't it? You know, let's not have boring. Let's just keep having this craziness, albeit that would lead to Spurs' relegation. So I don't know. Don't know about that. Nadem, I think it's probably important to put that run into context because obviously they took the lead against City, but... You know, it was kind of backs to the wall. Whereas this one, it's like, yeah, Sani said it. They had opportunities to put the game to bed before West Ham could come back. Yeah, that that is um, that is true. And do you know, I do love the way that they start when they're in good form. The Man City game, as you mentioned, they were getting killed. But when they're in free flowing sort of like energy, free flowing form, the crowd are into it. That at their stadium, it feels like it's a lot. You're thinking, oh, how many is it going to be? Oh, here's a chance. Here's another chance. That's a big moment. Like Romero, he's back. You know, he scored a header. Everything's fantastic. This is going to be great. And then it's just, it's just not. And I wouldn't necessarily be that person that would say I'd like them to change their style during the game when they have a lead because there's so many different moments where, you know, you are still supposed to attack and you've still got players who are better in attack than they are in defense. But moments do matter. And the Boeing goal, I mean, it's a it's a shot that's not probably not very good that gets a double deflection and then drops to someone one on one. How do you defend that differently? You know, you could say oh, you could try and stop the shot, but still, there's an element of chaos that comes with that. But then it's a, another little mistake for the for the second West Ham goal. And from there, West Ham their style of play probably suited having the ability to to sit in, but then no, you've got like a Bowen up top who can carry the ball, or Kudus who can carry the ball. Pakatai, I thought was great. I think shout out to Emerson as well. Emerson and Tufar thought they were brilliant yesterday. Um, Fabianski obviously coming in. I think that there are certain times where matchups do matter. And as the game was turning the way that it was, West Ham had a style of play, which Spurs were going to find very tough to break down. And then Spurs can't overcommit. There'll be other teams who go down to play against Spurs and they won't have that sort of forward ability that West Ham have, which will always ask the question and make your team feel a little bit uncomfortable when you're trying to attack them. 
But I'm I'm still a believer in Spurs as such. I think they'll score a ton of goals. And listen, I've been wrong probably seven out of ten times with teams that I do like. But um, I, I'm still I'm still very much a believer in them because I enjoy watching them and I see the goals potential that they have. And defensively, I don't think they're that bad. But at times, matchups matter. And I thought West Ham were great yesterday. They were closer to their style of play, which you know brings them success. And it. it it's good that they made the adjustments at halftime. Otherwise, I think that game could have been out of sight. Paul, on a scale of Johnny Lou to Max Rushton, where's your Ange Postacoglu uh, sort of fandom? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did, I did think about, I did think about this. Listen, I'm, I'm massively into him for the man he is. That, that I can't, you know, that I can't deny. I love listening to him talk um, about people, about the way football is, and I agree with ninety nine percent of what he says. And I think he's a breath of fresh air, and it's a, a great to have him in the game. As a coach, I love what I love watching the I love watching the football. Um, I you know listen to his appraisal of what happened last night, and he talks about the moments, not about the fatigue or whatnot. And I said, you know, that's a the right message to be sending out, and B could well be true. But I I this is an ugly sort of journalistic formulation, but I I, I do think there's something about with football teams, like you're trying to create warriors and you're trying to create artists and it's about getting the balance between those two things. And I think Spurs are artists before they're warriors and West Ham are warriors before they're artists. And I think on this game, that that decided it. The way that, the way that West Ham attacked, off the ball attacked, pressed, pressured Spurs in the second half, made them vulnerable. And then uh, both physically and psychologically, I think, they could start seeing that something was coming again and there was this risk that was happening. You know, with bad luck with the goal, the first goal that really kind of put the put the skids underneath them. And I think that lack of fortitude, call it Spursy, uh, it, you know, is it remains. And whether that's something that that Ange can eradicate with his philo- philosophy, which accentuates, and really I'm going on here, but accentuates that side, artistic side, you know, I think that's going to be the crunch. Um because he's raised expectations pretty quickly. And there's also the fact that he's unlucky enough to have been given the Manager of the Month award three times, which makes anybody who wants to have a pop at him and a crack at him have a bit of ammo that he's been overinflated beyond this value. I, I, I personally think, as I say, and I, you know, personally, he's a great addition as a man, as a coach, I think, he, I think he is too. But there's going to be hard questions, there's going to be hard times, and I'm not entirely sure that I would back Spurs to take that fourth place. They're in that fourth place mix, but I'm not sure that they're the team that I would say will be the ones to do it at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, Nadim, Joel wants to know, producer Joel, were you a warrior or artist? Or is that too simplistic? Well, Lots of shades to Nadim and Noah. Well, well, I always wanted to believe I was an artist, but nobody bought my work. So maybe I'm somebody <laughs> just doing in picture. But yeah, the thing is to worry first. I think as you look at those two teams yesterday, it's not to say that couldn't have played for both, but I'd lean more towards a David Moyes style of play, which is, I don't know if that's neither a compliment or an insult to myself, but that's what I'd lean towards. It sort of suits the way I see the game more. And I like the playing out from the back because I also love teams that had the ability to go out and score goals. So that's the Spurs side of things. But then with West Ham, as I say, they've got both. They're sneakily like quite attacking. When you've got a Ward Prowse in there, a Bowen, a Pakitar, a Kudus, that's very impressive. So I would lean, um, 
I would lean that way. But can I just make this point about Postacoglu, if you don't mind? I um, mm, Of course. So I like his style of play. I like how firm he is. I like the fact that he's decided that this is how his team's going to play. And he wants them to play winning football. I think that's something that a lot of people just forget about managers. They have a style of play, but it's the, whatever they believe is the best way to win a game of football. And if you have possession, for example, you can't really be attacked. So some managers like to defend by having the ball. I also think some people talk about Postacoglu like he's just started management. Like I thought, I had to look to see how old he was. And he's like, he's, he's 60 in two years time. He's not brand new, but still sometimes everyone is giving him, well, not everyone, but a lot of people who are considerably younger than him are trying to give him advice. Hey, Ange, no, no, you need to try this. No, 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 this isn't right. Ange, no, no, no. You're going to have to change. He's 58 years of age and he's been in management in some shape or form <laughs> for a long time. Do you think he cares? What like some guy who's like 42, 43, he's got to say about like what management is like, especially when some of these people, as we've seen, have um, historically been very bad at management themselves when they did it for a little period of time. But not that. Name, name, name. <laughs> I was making a mental note before the show that I wanted to say this because I think you can say something very similar about David Moyes. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big David Moyes fan. Always have been. I think he is a good man. And but, I, you know, his, his football can sometimes be more pragmatic than expansive. And it does, you know, fans can fall on the side of a divide with regards to him. But, you know, I think Nedham's absolutely right. For a, for, a side, for a side that primarily does not want to concede away from home, they've got good technicians in that side. And they play, you know, they play good passing football to work their work, work the way around the pitch. When, they're, when they've got, you know, when they've got possession in the final third, they can be as intricate and as deadly as, as anybody on their day. And I, I, I just think that I remember, I'm old enough to remember that Everton team. And it was a long time in its maturation. You know, every year it got slightly better. But for most of those years, it was, it was, there wasn't much of the glory, glory football about it. But, they, but it was, you know, effective. But by the end, they were both winning games and playing fantastic football week in, week out. And I think that the, the journey that West Ham are on right now, I think it's comparable. And I think you're seeing, the, you know, the second iteration of this of his team now where he's moved he's moved on he's got these you know he's being able to take these great players great technical players and uh and and, and incorporate them into the, the the system and the idea that he has i mean watching kudus closing down like his runner like 50 yard you know 100 meter sprint to 50 meter sprint to get back and close down the close down the attacker the strength of paqueta on the ball in the middle of the pitch you know these are all real Moisean sort of values that he would absolutely demand. And they make these players better, you know, when they've got that side to their game as well as the skillful side, they're, they're forced to be reckoned with. And Sani, even more impressively, because they've played so much football, six more games than Spurs already, and they have eight games in 24 days in December. Um, obviously, Spurs have had high-profile injuries, but, I mean, West Ham keep going and going. They do, and goals as well are coming coming from everywhere. I mean, Thomas Suchek's having a really good season as well, and kind of like kind of a renaissance for him. Uh, I suppose it's it's getting the best out of the players that aren't even the ones that are getting all the headlines, like your Ward Prowse and 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 Jared Bowen. So overall, it's a, a very positive showing, and I guess it kind of shows that where our own bias as football fans, are, uh, maybe West Ham are kind of that 
what's here they're in actually you know you look at the lineup uh, as as names kind of uh, elucidated and actually they're, they're great they're really good you know and uh, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised and you mentioned the first goal for west ham made and the second one was pretty silly as well <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's not it's not great when you concede in those types of goals because you know like the first one is deflections. Oh, I can't believe it. The next one's like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? And even to have the misfortune of the the initial shot, I think from Ward Prowse, come off the post exactly back to where he is. <laughs> you know, that could have spun off to the side, could have mm-hmm. done anything. But instead, it there it was. You know, the, oh, think of all those years Ward Prowse worked on his technique, his free kicks. <laughs> and now here's the opportunity. Can you tap this ball in with nobody around you? From two yards out. Ah, oh, it's the dream. All that hard that work. Is pre- that's pressure though as well. <laughs> yeah, oh, huge pressure when nobody's there. I've never felt pressure mm. like it. But <laughs> to, um, to just say, continue on something I said before, because I only did half my research. Like David Moyes is two years older than Postecoglou, And people are happy that David can do his own thing, but are really unhappy about Ange deciding to play his particular way. But yeah, I think West Ham, they're a good team. They are a very, they are a good team, and they're managing this sort of European journey perhaps a bit better than some others. But maybe it's because they have more players available. They have the ability to rotate at certain parts at certain moments, like whether it's the centre back pairings or whether you know you're seeing like Kara play right back, and um, I think other players in different positions. And they're 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 good. They've got their identity. They're comfortable with it, and they've got say someone up top like Jared Bowen. I think he's fourth or fifth top scorer in the Premier League right now. Things you never thought you'd see, but still here we are. Well, a couple of points on that. First of all, I think it's um, the Ange thing, the sort of patronising sort of advice thing is because he's new to our league, TM. (laughs) Um, That's possibly it. Mm. And also Jared Bowen now cannot leave West Ham. He has got twins with um, celebrity fan, West West Ham fan, Danny Dyer's daughter. Okay. He cannot leave now. Okay, that's it. This that's, is his. Yeah, this is it. It's bigger than a bigger than a contract extension. It's the twin. It's the twins <laughs> yeah. with Danny girl. Yeah, he will not let allow that to happen. Will he? <laughs> that's another thing about this the team that he has willingly signed up to be the talisman of the team. When he signed that contract extension, he was. I am going to stay here the rest of my career. Brackets because if I didn't, my father in law would kill me. But like. Um, but you know he he is he is a, he he is, he is sort of accepted the idea that being a legend at West Ham would be a really good thing, and like you know for Declan Rice that wasn't quite enough. But the, you know that to create the idea for other players in your squad that that would be enough, I think is another sign that you're building something, which which uh, an idea that you know, people can take seriously. Well, that'll do for part two. In part three, we'll preview more Premier League fixtures. Welcome back to the Guardian Football Weekly. So the Premier League marches on. Oh, it's a 12.30 kickoff for Jurgen Klopp again. Crystal Palace uh, against Liverpool. Naden, first of all, we wanted to know your feelings of 12.30 kickoffs as a player. Did you enjoy them or did you... I mean, is it true you have to force that pasta down at 7am or whatever it is? You see, I was more of a porridge guy anyway. So okay, for me, okay. it's, it's, it's like socially, it's perfectly acceptable to be forcing that down <laughs> at like nine in the morning. A morning kickoff is, the perspective of it is very much dependent on what you, when the last game was. And I think for Klopp and others, I can see the concern that you do have because it's like preparation time. It's say, were you home? Were you away in the last game? How, are people fully recovered? And it does, you know, it does make a difference. And can I mention something here, mildly controversial mildly is this okay please we need so, more of this 
in the in that interview where Klopp was very angry, like I've got to say, from my perspective, some of the jokes that do get let off about people who are involved in the game, it's an easy joke for you to make because you don't feel it. Like what he's saying, he's saying it for what Klopp would say about those kickoffs. He's saying it for a reason. He's not just saying it for the sake of it. And he knows all the impact that it's having upon his players, his staff. Like this might be people staying away from their families and so on. So to drop in as a joke to the exact person that it doesn't find it funny. I liked how he pushed back because he could have been, oh, you know, we're on, we're on Amazon. Everyone's getting paid this. This is a stakeholder. Ha ha ha. I was like, nah, this is a little reminder that, no, this is actually work. And I take my work seriously. So I, di- I didn't mind it. But to go back to 12 days kickoffs, they're great as long as you win. Because when you win, it's like you've got added time off. All the time you lose at the front end, you gain at the back end. But then when you lose, and now you've got more time to stew over it, and you watch everyone else at 3 o'clock go and sort of leapfrog you in the league, then it's like, I hate 12.30 kickoffs. So, yeah, you know, that's the sensible approach to early kickoffs in my mind. I do think, though, Paul, like the... the- the sort of thing with Klopp, we discussed it um, on yesterday's pod. It probably, Nadeem's given a good sort of player's perspective there, but it probably isn't very helpful that he can be poked like that (laughs) pretty easily. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, he never had that. I mean, I'm sure that was part, has always been part of the the makeup, but he was more the avuncular, jocular uh, caricature, wasn't he? And, And then now people start to see this is, you know, gets a little bit more snappy, that kind of perceives being patronised quite a lot by questioners, things like that. Listen, if I was put in that situation, I would crumble into dust <laughs> within thirty minutes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a high pressure. It's a high pressure environment, um, and, uh, and and you know they're all going to have moments like this. I think Liverpool, for me, they're back. Um, and you know if he's being snarly and you know looks like somebody you don't want to mess with, I'm not sure that's going to harm their their attitude or their prospects right now. As for Palace, Sani, they were truly dreadful on Wednesday. Um, do we give them any hope in this game? And they've got Manchester City after this one too. <laughs> no, in short, I think um, not scoring enough goals. I mean, Odson Edward, you, t- you take him out, he's got six. And without that, they- they've basically got nobody who can, who can score. You're looking at like the centre-half, Anderson, who's got two. It's, it's-, it's really hard. And, and I know um, on the pod, you- you- we talked about um, Roy Hodgson and, and being... You know, uh, I think Nuruddin called him a bit of a, a brick top sort of gangster kind of that that vibe he's got at the moment, uh, and he's been also been a bit bristly. Uh, and the Palace fans aren't particularly happy. I mean, I suppose what what more can they expect? There are so many clubs here who are kind of struggling to get a player, you know, that real quality player. You need to kind of change things around, and, and Palace are just going to have to kind of take the medicine uh, I suppose this 12.30 kickoff I mean as, as it happens by the way I'm partly a small cog in the machine of why he's been ground down uh, Jurgen Klopp because uh, due to various rights reasons I did a press conference with Jurgen Klopp where I was the only person in the room but it still had to be a press conference. <laughs> it was just me and Jurgen Klopp still sat in this press Wait, can conference. Can I ask, style. where were you sat? Were you sat right at the back? Uh, no, or... I, I sat on the front row to the right, okay, so, that, so the cam up had a nice angle. Um, but so, so therefore, he took the time in quite some detail to explain all the intricacies around this early kickoff. And so perhaps after he's done that a few times, I'm, I'm partly to blame for it um but yeah it is a genuine thing and i suppose uh, as nadam saying you know those, those palace players have had some time to stew on it will be really kind of wanting to put 
the last result behind them and therefore Liverpool could be got at. And, you know, we, we do kind of forget they are all human and the psychological aspect is such a big one. If those Palace fans can come in and somehow get themselves up for a 12.30 kickoff when they've had an early start as well, then they can make it really uncomfortable for Liverpool and they're going to have to because the players they've got at the moment on the pitch, you know, Ayu, Eberiche, uh, Eze, certainly on the day, can, can do brilliant things, but you just need to get them having their day because otherwise they're kind of struggling. This is something about Palace that just because it strikes me from the perspective of my day job, which is sports news, right? And uh, I do a lot of stuff writing about the Premier League and kind of regulators, spin-off league competition, all that sort of stuff. Um, and Steve Parrish of Crystal Palace is a very prominent figure in the Premier League right now. He's somebody who has a lot of opinions on the future of the game, doesn't like the regulator, is getting involved in European club associations, criticising the way that the game is run in Europe. Not that Palace are ever playing in Europe, by the way, but he does have opinions on that. But I, I do note that without Roy Hodgson, Crystal Palace have always looked, their position in the Premier League in recent years has looked quite precarious. That Roy has been, uh, you know, it's been key to build, keeping the club in the division, building that platform that allows Steve Parrish to kind of talk about you know, here I am, a, you know, here's our club, a big, big club in the Premier League and we, our, our needs need to be taken care of as well. And I wonder about what, you know, he, I think if he, if, if the pressure built, continues to build on Roy, because obviously the fans have sort of a bit like, okay, well, this is, this is, you know, we felt it was enough the first time. And, and I think they've had a little bit kind of sort of struggle with buying it in. Personally, I think you're very lucky to have him, but that's by the by, that's what the fans think. If he has to replace him again, it's a big, big decision. And he's got it wrong before, with De Boer, most notoriously. But, um, you know, I think in the end, Patrick Vieira didn't really work out either. He doesn't spend a lot of money on players. So there's not really that option either. I, th- I think I'm interested to see what happens with Palace this season, just because of because it matters not just on the pitch, but off it as well. Yeah, I, I, think, that, I think that's all very fair. And after the last game against Bournemouth, the game finished with booze. And when you're in that spot, you've got something to think about because what are they booing? Are they booing that particular goal that they conceded to Kiefer Moore? Are they booing the performance? Are they booing the season? Are they booing the manager? Are they booing their players? There's so many different things. But for them, the players, they've got to go out there and try and sort of rectify that. But you're doing it against the Liverpool side who are kind of feeling themselves at this moment in time. So it's one of those games which I feel could maybe go either way. Like maybe it's a... It's an historic day for Palace as they really go and take it to Liverpool and get a result after being in a poor run of form. Or maybe they capitulate and the boos get louder and more people start saying start saying them. But, you know, one thing's for sure anyway, for as much as that feels like a big game, I think there's probably a bigger, bigger game for a, another manager in the Premier League this weekend and we'll see how that goes for him. Mm. Yeah, no, we, we didn't actually mention it yesterday, but... Liverpool have a player who's literally playing with his arse hanging out. He's taking the piss. <laughs> Trent. I mean, this, this is the confidence that is flowing through Liverpool at the moment. Um, Luton Town against Manchester City. This could be an interesting one. Oh, don't, Robin, and, stop it. Stop yeah. it, don't do this. <laughs> Come on, Nadum, give it to me. You know, All without a win. Oh, don't, don't. Luton a tricky don't, place to go. Robin, Having been in those dressing don't, rooms. Don't, <laughs> It's you, you can see you can see the headline you can see it happening mm-hmm. and especially like you saw Liverpool have to pull out a late equaliser against them you saw Arsenal have to pull out a late winner against them I thought Liverpool should have been out of sight against them to be honest and there's a good reaction for them to come back in 
I didn't think Arsenal played anywhere near their best, but then it's, like Luton offered something in that next game against them. And those players, they're playing the pre- most of them are playing in the Premier League for the first time. So their confidence is growing more and more, the more they realise they can compete. You know, the data's there, they've, they've got the minutes uh, in the belt and they know the value of a big result. They nearly had it against Liverpool. They nearly had it against Arsenal. And here's a City side, which, you know, in fairness, if they were playing a City side that played midweek against Villa, who were more depleted, even though Villa were magnificent in that game, then it's probably more belief and sort of maybe a great expectation that can get something from there. But it is set up to be a disaster. It is going to be a style of football, which is going to test those City players out. But you still, you know, it's, it's still City at some point. They're going to sort of, do something for like 90 minutes instead of just 45. But we'll see how Luton go. Like, what are they going to be like if they're a goal down, if they're two goals down and they can't really get possession of the ball? Or what happens if they're 1-0 up, 2-0 up? And City are trying to probe, but they've still got the ability to go and hit on the counter. I think it's an annoyingly fantastic game of football from my perspective because I'd prefer it if it was a really, really obvious one. But I don't think that's the position we're in right now. And that's why, like, timing matters because... A season is a season, but these particular moments are really exciting because it's always a reaction off what came before. And what came before is more encouraging for Luton, but less encouraging for mm. Man City. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of chaotic games going on this weekend. Everton against Chelsea and Sani. This could be another tricky one for Chelsea, who seem to still be very, very unpredictable. Yeah, and partly that is because they've got so many young players, quite a few, specifically 22 years old. So not got a massive amount of experience, maybe in the Premier League, but... You know, again, I put, I put this to to Sean Dyche, and he said, "Well, you know, they're, quite, they're internationals still, aren't they?" But yeah, Chelsea very much in that kind of transitional period at the moment, and the nature any level when you've got young players is they're not, they're not consistent, and we we keep seeing that all the time. And Caden Jackson can score that emphatic hat trick on the one hand, if you want to call it that, the other week, or just you know a series of tap-ins. Um, uh, but then you know. Uh, he can't reproduce that every week because he's still kind of learning the game and he's very raw. It's funny. It's funny actually when 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 they say raw, and I'm sure Nadem can 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 give us a bit more on this because it's almost like what what he can run like, but he physically can play. Like he's got some technique. You know, we kind of always big it up like they're so raw. Like he's only just mastered like staying on side and running in a straight line. Don't give him the ball, <laughs> make him have, like a second or a third touch. Um, but yeah, Everton potentially could get at them. Yeah. Uh, raw, raw. Um, <laughs> to, to be honest, it depends who it is. From a positive standpoint, someone can say it's raw because there's huge potential. And sometimes it's a bit of a dog whistle to say someone's no good. Um, I think it just depends on whoever's saying it. But if we're going to go for the positive element, then you can see they show flashes of like finesse. But as you get older, you've played the game for long enough, you've got enough reps into where it should look cleaner. And you understand the importance of the say that right first touch, the perfect timing of the run. But until they realise the importance of certain things or they've had enough reps to get it out of them, then, yeah, they will play the game as if, you know, it's just a simple game of football where all you do is just run around and kick things. But, you know, there's a lot more nuance to it. And I think some of that rawness goes with time. Wolves against Nottingham Forest. This is now turning out to be quite an interesting game, Paul, because it's been reported that Steve Cooper has one game to save his job in that sort of cinematic style that we have, which I feel was really unhelpful because it puts so much pressure on the team and on him, of course. And it's just like, it just builds the game up to be way more than it really should be, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is a, is a, is a sort of derby of sorts, but you, you also made, you raises the question, you know, what's the bar for making this the game that saves your job? Is it winning? If you scrape over the line with a, 
a, a, a scuffed a scuffed uh, six yard effort is that enough? Does it have to be uh, exciting football that tears them apart and um, which you won't do against Wolves, uh, however hard you try? It, it, I, I, you know, you get you get the feeling with with Forest that that Cooper's on a high. This has been written some time ago, and uh, you know, in the manner of sort of Premier League clubs, a bit like Gary O'Neill at, at Bournemouth. The, the the owners kind of thing actually we're we're aiming for something a bit further than, than what this English coach can can do for us um, and it's only been the fans and the fact that he actually did an incredibly good job last season that's kept him in, that's kept him in the job I, th- I think you know I, from you know I, I, if I was Steve Cooper I'd be I'd be a little bit chastened I think because it's like what can you really do. And it's not as if I, I don't think that he's had much control over the direction of this sort of transfer fire hose that continues to dump half a new, new, dozen new players on the squad. But clearly, they're not playing well. It was I think it was Jao Palinha versus Ibrahima Sangare, and, and there was one conclusive winner in that game. And you know, Sangare came in, a lot of expectation, big signing, that sort of guy who was supposed to be able to kind of be up for any fight. That suggests that... There's something not right in in the, in the in the heads of the team, and is that because they know the writings on the wall as well? Forest have enough individual talent in that squad that you know they could get something out of this game. I don't think that's impossible. I think uh, the Wolves are you know Wolves are they're, they're consistent enough, but they're not you know that that uh, that you you wouldn't you, you always sort of bank on them for the win. So you know there could there could be a point out of this easily. But will that be enough? Would a would a one nil away win be enough? I'm, I'm not. I think I think ultimately Cooper's time at the City Ground is going to come to an end. We'll find we'll find out because we'll find out where the owner has put his pass. I think the measure of enough, as um, as Paul was just saying there, we almost perceive like these ultimatums to be like checkpoints in video games and like car racing games. If you make it to this point, you get an extra forty seconds. Well, if 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 your if your job is being discussed for you being on the way out, then you don't become the right person because you've won this game. Like it doesn't. How much time does how much time does it buy you? Like maybe exactly. that would be the case if it's the yeah. last game of the season. And you have to stay up. So if you do win this game and you stay up, then yes, you keep the job. But realistically, it doesn't that doesn't add up to me. And again, so Hacking Boston loses his job recently off the back of a 5-0 defeat and then you look to them losing 5-0 away to Fulham and Forest have no away record two wins since they got promoted ton of defeats and that stuff sort of matters because those two 5-0 defeats like one was Burnley beating Sheffield United the other one's Fulham like Fulham are a good side they're not really a five-star side that should be able to just walk straight through you which is exactly what they did and for uh, I don't know if people would agree with this I think these things are sometimes made worse because that performance happens in front of the away fans who are the ones who are most committed to the football club. So as soon as you lose that level of trust with that core group, you can't really just bring it back in off the back of one result itself. So I don't think it looks good for him. And I think it's a shame because he seems so many, like so many people like him, but football is uh, it's one of those games where sometimes, you know, if you're not performing, then it doesn't matter how nice you are. Yeah, Nadam, uh, as a fan who's seen their side lose 5-0, in fact, in a week where Berry lost, I think, 5-0 and 5-1 to AFC Wimbledon away, two games in a row in the same week, I got very, <laughs> very, very angry. Uh, yeah. So, so angry. But, you know, just, just looking at that Fulham performance, 
I mean, there's no way to mince your words here. I mean, the, defensively, they were they were just pathetic. Like, you know, they were, there was a real kind of lack of urgency, you know, like to Sangari leaving Jimenez just to run through. Even stuff like Toffolo wasn't tracking for the first goal and then and then he's like looking around for offside. And And I think the really sad thing is that if a new manager did come in, there would be an improvement, wouldn't there? Because just solely from the fact that he's new and he can... If if those players are downing tools, they'll certainly pick them up again. But going back to your uh, checkpoint analogy, it will only give you 40 seconds, maybe a lap worth, and again, they'll still be in the same situation. It'd be really brave, I think, of Marinakis to, to stick with Cooper, no matter what, and go, look, this is the guy who took us from looking towards League One to Premier League, and we've survived, and yeah, you know, it's not gone well now, but we can trust him to do it again. Look what, look at his record. Look what he's done. And in fact, if you guys aren't willing to work for him, then I've got another 50 <laughs> players over in Greece who can take your place. Well, yeah, that, that's a yeah, very good point. Um, the other standout game, I think, um, Villa against Arsenal made him. And if Villa win this, then, then we have to take them seriously. Sure, surely. Feel sorry for Villa. It's always like, if they win this one, and then if they win yeah. this one, <laughs> and if they win the next 20 games then maybe, just maybe, they'll be with a chance of winning the title. I don't think it's an unpopular opinion, if you've watched them recently, to say that they're probably playing the best, if not the second best football in the league right now. That Villa-Man City game, I I was working the I was working for Amazon in the studio and I said something and I thought, this might sound like extreme recency bias, but I think I stand by it. In the Premier League era, the games, the full games that I've seen of Aston Villa, that's the best I've ever seen them play. They were astonishing. The way they were at the back, the goalkeeper made those two big saves early in the game. The midfield bullied all those that were in City's midfield for that game, whilst also having an extreme threat in attack. Watkins was making endless amounts of runs. Leon Bailey looked like the best version I'd seen before. The crowd were rocking, and it's not to say we're sleeping on it, but because it's Villa, it's, we should probably talk about it more. It's 14 home wins in a row. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's it's that's outrageous. If, if there were 14 games unbeaten at home, it'd be champion. So to have won 14 in a row it is really crazy. And so now here's the next te- test. It's Arsenal. And one thing we know, I'm sure everyone's getting that feeling now. If Arsenal are like losing and it's... 10 minutes left to go in the clock. It's like, well, <laughs> who's going to score this week? You know, yeah. you know, we've seen this story before. But it'll be interesting to see how the styles match up because Arsenal in that midfield area, they want to have the ball. They want to be in the ascendancy. But how will they deal with like Villa's narrow midfield having the block? Are they going to try and counter it by just trying to kill them down, down on the wings? I think it makes for a fantastic game of football. And I hope from Villa's perspective that they didn't put all their eggs into that basket of playing against City. Because they could they could be humbled very quickly by Arsenal at the weekend, but if their form is true, their confidence is there, and they're as well drilled as they were against City, then I wouldn't be surprised if fourteen turned to fifteen. But you know, Arsenal have a way of winning games as, as long as there's time. You know, there's someone on the field that will help them out. So I think it's going to be the game of the weekend. Well, stand by Villa fans because Jordan Jarrett Bryan is on Monday's podcast after this game. Uh, so that should be very exciting, no matter what the uh, what the outcome there. Uh, elsewhere, Manchester United against Bournemouth, uh, Spurs hosting Newcastle, Brighton versus Burnley, uh, Sheffield United against Brentford, Fulham, West Ham. Uh, we'll cover them all on Monday's pod. The new Premier League TV deal, 6.7 
billion pounds uh, over four years uh, for its UK television rights have gone to Sky and TNT Sports. Paul, you've written about this in, in the paper. Anything that kind of football watching, football going fans should really look out for in this deal? Well, I think I think what you're going to have is an end to, for football watching fans, uh, you're going to have an end to that kind of social media frustration that people have on a Sunday afternoon where those post-European games aren't on and everybody wants to watch them and somehow people are watching them but they don't know how and uh, and so on and so forth. People are going to be able to watch it properly in the uh, and, and I, I think that's going to be a change. And I do think that what this deal symbolises to an extent... On the one hand, there's loads more games in this deal because the Premier League needed to make a, uh, more money. They, they needed to be able to show that the, 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 the show was still on the road, uh, the finances were still improving, they're still growing, they're the dominant football league. And so they kind of had to work out a way to make that happen. And they decided that was extend the contract from three years to four years and put more, more games into. And so that's one of the reasons they did it. But I, I think another thing is we are now increasingly in the era where the TV fan, who is the most important fan to the financial success of the game, is uh, expecting to be able to watch every game and wants to be able to watch every game, or at least to be able to dip in and dip out of it. And I think if you look at what, America, you know, with US sports in particular, baseball and the NFL, you know, you can, and NBA, you can do all that. That that is that is there. That's the standard fan experience now. And I think kind of we're moving to the point where football is going to be the same. And um, obviously in England, you've got the the question of the three pm kickoff and blackouts, which has stopped us showing games before then. I think ultimately that will change too. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, in favour of the WSL because I think that would be a real boost to 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 that competition. Having a you know a particular not only hallowed time slot but a, a reliable time slot that you can kind of go and watch the games on. Um, so I think those are the changes. I don't want to forget the fans in the ground um, because I think fans in the ground do get for not forgotten an awful lot, particularly when it comes to things like VAR, but also kickoffs. Yeah, we had this this week with the FA Cup, the announcement. I've seen a lot of anger on, on social media about that, the sort of moving to 8pm on a Friday and, and things like that. This is still, it's still kind of focusing on the TV viewer really isn't it absolutely and as I say they do that because that's where the mo- that's where the money is yeah. and, and I think you know you, people have to accept that and also you know a lot of a lot of people who are genuine football fans never go to the ground and and us fans who do go to the ground have to accept that too but I think I think for fans who do go to the ground while those I'm sure the god awful kind of last minute oh by the way it's uh, it's Christmas Eve and it's eight PM and it's it's four hundred miles away. It's still going to happen. They haven't introduced any new kickoff time slots, so they had been told that there would be a Sunday evening stroke night kickoff, and that hasn't happened. And I think that's probably a blessing, you know, a small blessing for for the match going fans. But yeah, basically, it means that the Premier League there's going to be more games for the fans, and the Premier League is just looking like if you didn't know it already, by far the most powerful domestic football competition in the world. Uh, outside of the Premier League, um, Sunderland have parted ways with Tony Mowbray. Swansea have let go of Michael Duff. Um, and Paul, how safe do we think David Wagner's job is oh, well. at Norwich? <laughs> well, I, I mean... How safe know, do you want it to be, shall we say? <laughs> well, I, oh, God, this is, where do I start? Where do I stop? I don't think it's safe. Uh, I, I think he hasn't. He's making some um, eccentric choices that don't do him any favours, like playing our central midfielder who he tried to turn into a holding midfielder and then played as a centre-half 
Kenny McLean at the weekend. So there's sort of like he has some there's some unusual decisions. We've had some terrible five nil bat five five goal batterings, which as Sunny has already pointed out, does 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 something to a fan base. And the the the, the football is quite stodgy. The only thing I'd say about him is that uh, Dean Smith had the same problems, and Daniel Farker uh, didn't even try to make. And you know, Daniel Farker was just all about one end of the pitch and not about the other. So the, the fact is, we haven't been able to defend for how long? You know, since 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 Paul Lambert, Chris Hewton. So that's a decade, right? And 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 well, in that time, we've had some great attacking football. You know, the two championship titles were brilliant. But we're facing what everybody else is facing. It's the it's the war it's the old warrior artist dilemma that we like to talk about. And and we can't we can't get the balance. We don't have the money to buy good players. And as a result, you know, we've 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 uh veered from having loads of unproven players who weren't quite good enough to having loads of players who've been around a little bit too long and are past their best. So but you know, we've had a we've had our time in the sun and Nick Nick Ames keeps messaging me and going, Oh, oh poor, yeah. Oh, by the way, oh yeah, Ipswich won. I like, oh yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks, Nick, for that. And but at the same, t- but you know, they play such good stuff. You know, I'm happy for them. I want them to go and have their moment. I, I don't, you know, uh, and, and maybe they'll maybe they'll make a long term success of it. But I, I, I think it's we've had our time. It's good that other teams are doing well. I think we'll improve over the course of the season. But yeah, I think Wagner will be out the door before long. Well, meanwhile, in League One, Cambridge United have appointed Neil Harris. How long before he? breaks Rushton's heart. Uh, Max will be back on Monday uh, after Neil's first game in charge away at Charlton. I'm sure it'll be an Australia special because of some of the discourse that's gone on this week. <laughs> uh, but that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Nadim. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Nice to be with you, Robin. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Sadie. Thank you very much indeed. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.